good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. You go ahead and try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. We always appreciate hearing from folks all around. And wherever you may be, just give us a call. You got something to on your mind something bugging you there you go <laughs> and right now is the perfect time to call well the first of the show is always the best time to call in because we have far far fewer calls as we go on it generally the calls start to build up right and a lot of times we have people who call late in the show and we still have time to get to them because we have to start getting out uh, sure different things we have to do <laughs> can't have people still talking when they roll us out of here so yeah just uh give us a call our lines wide open right now and had a couple of good email this week that I thought I'd just kind of mention briefly because it makes a point. One of them, gentleman said that he had a noise when he applied his clutch. Okay. In his car, when you push the clutch in, it was a loud noise, a loud grinding kind of a noise. And he said the clutch was not that old, maybe a year or two old. And he had been a couple of places. Everybody said, well, you, the clutch is bad. Throw out the bearings bad. Throw out the bearings bad. Uh-huh. And he said he wrote. And he says, do you think I should go ahead and tear this down and see if that's what it is? Because there's no way to really inspect the throwout baron. Without physically taking it out of the vehicle. Out of right. I said, well, you know, there are a few other things that occur to me. I would do a little more testing before I would just go and pull that transmission out of the vehicle. And I said, one thing I can think of, maybe the thrust bearing could be worn out. When you apply the clutch, the crankshaft moves forward, and it may be hitting on something. That's one thing. You can mm-hmm. look at the harmonic balance, see if it moves if when it you moves. press the clutch. And One thing that I did, didn't occur to me, but he wrote back and said, I appreciate you giving me that piece of advice. Because as I was checking that, what I noticed, I'm under the car, when they applied the clutch, what was happening is that the starter was hanging up on the car. Okay. Okay. Now, it's got a manual transmission, so the starter uh, won't turn with the clutch pedal out. Okay. It's got the clutch interlock on it. But when you mash the pedal in, the starter motor would start to turn. No kidding. Yeah, so that's what the noise was. Okay. And he was able to fix it by replacing the starter. You know, the starter was just hung up, but when you let out on the clutch, it would kill it. It because was close. Because right, clutch it, interlock. Right, it was close enough to so, it to engage it right well it's one of those things you don't normally think of it just doesn't normally occur to you right that's not a normal uh, right, problem that had he went ahead pulled the transmission out had someone do that replace the clutch what have you possibly they'd have found the, the starter well, because a lot of likely. the starter has to come off yeah but but I mean, not, not very, very likely, likely to caught that and so he just still had the same problem and have spent a good deal of money right trying to fix it so it just tells you sometimes it's just much much cheaper to do some for a little more extensive diagnosis and kind of contradicting that, we had another gentleman who called a week or so ago, and he was talking about he was getting a reduced power mode correct uh, on his vehicle, or actually I think his sister's vehicle, and he came across, he, he was fairly well convinced that it could be the accelerator pedal, mm-hmm. and he was asking us ways to test it and all that, and that's a fairly difficult thing to test. It really is, because it's a very sensitive system. Right, and testing is going to cost a certain amount of money. Mm-hmm. because it takes a certain amount of time so he was able to go to a salvage yard find a used accelerator pedal for ten dollars okay. and he put it in and that fixed the problem wonderful and like i was telling him sometimes it is you know if the cost is exceedingly low and the probability is fairly high and there's your this looks like what it is but i'm just not sure but so it didn't cost very much it didn't cost very much at all so it made sense 
rather than go and pay somebody $100 to test the system and all, for $10 he got a brake pedal, uh, excuse me, accelerator pedal, he was able to change it himself. So yeah. there are both sides to that story, and it right. all comes down to cost-benefit. Well, and one thing you got to remember when you start swapping electronic parts is will that part work on this vehicle? Right. Because a lot of times the electronic parts are married to the vehicle they come off of. They are. And if you don't, you could go spend an hour trying to get this part, come back just to find out that it won't work on your vehicle. And a lot of times we've seen once you've plugged a different electronic component in, Mm -hmm. the computer will actually lock out the original one. It may. So you've got to know that in the back of your mind before you start swapping well, electronic parts out. you have out. to know the nature of the component because some vehicles may have several options. All these parts may look the same, but they all function differently. Correct. And it may even plug in, but it's it's still not going to work. So you assume, well, okay, that's not it because it still doesn't work. And then you go some start on a on a Go off on tangent. a high rate of spending on the money. Now, in this case, the accelerator pedal is not going to likely affect anything else. He was able to change it fairly easily. The cost was very low. Had it still not worked, it didn't mean for sure the accelerator pedal wasn't the problem, but it would be certainly a lot less likely because he could have got another bad pedal. It's very possible. That's possible, but it would probably set a different code. So I would say the likelihood of a larger complication in this instance was pretty low, right? and the cost was pretty low, and the odds of success were probably at least 50-50. It's kind of like back in the days when we used to have the Ford trucks with the abs code was so prevalent because they had a huge failure rate on those rear abs sensors right if you got it in with an abs code, that code. and you ran you with an abs problem you ran the code and it had something to do it was cheaper just to swap that sensor because the sensor was about 10 bucks right and it didn't take five minutes five minutes, minutes to, to swap it. it out and the kicking part of it is if it's not bad now it will be it's probably going to go bad <laughs> exactly so you haven't hurt yourself at all by just go ahead and replace this part, see if it fixes it. Sure. Because the failure rate's extremely high, the likelihood of a solution is fairly high, and the cost is very, very low. Very low. As opposed to checking the entire system. And then coming back to a $10 part, a $12 part. Well, and again, I try to explain this to people sometimes. If you're willing to accept a small amount of risk, you may save a lot of money. Sure. Because let's take the example of we got a car with a misfire. And the first thing we do, we raise the hood, and we see spark jumping out of the car tick 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 well that may be a problem but it may not be the only problem in other words you could have spark jumping out of this car but you could also have low compression on the cylinder right you could have a bad injector on the cylinder you could have a computer not firing engine i mean all kinds of other things could be present but we know this is a problem right now this is a problem so it's just prudent in that case hey look we looked at your car for like two minutes we found you got a bad car fire jumping out of it let's replace the call and go from there sure because the other side of the coin is okay well let's say maybe this is maybe something let's spend two hours checking everything else in the car and then come back and say yeah the call was bad well you know you spent 200 bucks on diagnostics to know something you knew already exactly another example of that might be where you have a misfire or a little stumble on acceleration the spark plugs have 130,000 miles on them you pull them out the gap is excessively wide well doesn't it just make sense let's change the plugs first all right you know it needs them we know we need plugs anyway so let's get a good may starting fix point. the whole problem it may not it may not but we know it needs this it know it needs that now the, the other side of the coin is you can't hold the shop responsible if they change the plugs and you still got another problem mm-hmm. because again you're not paying up front for a full diagnosis 
the other the only other way around that is let's check everything, make sure this is not the only problem. Okay, but it costs this much, and you need a set of plugs. Right. So you just so double, right the pri- <laughs> double the price of the job. And For no reason. There's always that kind of thing that comes up. I know a lot of times we'll get a car with, say, a misfire and, say, a rich code. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not going to spend a lot of time chasing down the rich code or an O2 code if I got a known misfire. Sure, because that misfire contributes to what the O2 sensor is actually reading. It could very well. The, the, the sensor, that. just because it said a sensor code doesn't mean the sensor is bad. No, it's the just a sensor out of range. It's reacting to the rest of the way the engine's running. Right, so if I've got an airflow code or I've got a sensor code or even if I've got a transmission shifting problem. Sure. I am not going to spend a lot of time or money looking for that until I resolve the known problem, which is the misfire code. Right, because the misfire could lead to all the other possibilities. Right. may not, but it may. You could have a misfire and a bad transmission. Very that possible. is possible. But it's just prudent to go ahead and solve the problem that we know and then see, clear it go, and see what go comes from back. there. Let's go to our phone. Paul, good morning, Paul. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, i got a couple of questions about I've been wanting to service the transmission on my two vehicles okay. and just wanted to see if you had any input on that. One is a 2009 Scion XB and the other one is a year 2000 GMT Sierra four-wheel drive half-ton pickup. Okay. And so they both have drain plugs, right? but they both have accessible filters and that too. So how would you go about, you know, recommending me to do that? We always drop the pan, Paul. We don't ever use that drain plug. The one on the Chevy uh, Silverado, you very likely will round it off. I've never really been able to get those out. I know they put them in there, and I'm sure they can be got out under certain conditions. But the likelihood of it rounding off is pretty darn high. So we we we, usually leave them alone. Yeah, we've got a siphon machine that we can stick down the dipstick tube and pull about two or three quarts out of it. And then when you service the pan, there's not as much fluid to have to deal with. Doesn't pour all over you. Right. But if you're doing it in the driveway, um, just get you a big drain pan, loosen the bolts, and just kind of be ready for it. When the pan comes down, the fluid's coming out. So Uh just have your big drain pan down there, take the bolts loose. What I like to do is leave a couple in each side, but loosen them. So when the pan drop, you know, when the seal breaks from dropping the pan the pan doesn't come crashing to the ground and spill fluid everywhere Mm -hmm. then you can diligently take the screws out while you hold the pan and you can kind of pour it to a certain point you're still going to have some fluid you're going to have to deal with in the pan you're not going to be able to get it all out until you get the pan out of the vehicle now i'm not sure about the 2000 but some of the chevy trucks you have to drop the exhaust pipe it runs right under it, it rides right under the back the pan will come down but it won't clear the solenoid pack in the back yeah the, the later models are certainly that way right but i'm not sure about gotcha. the 2000 um, now you know, the huge yeah, it, it looks like that is the case on my truck some people were saying you can raise the back of the transmission well, a little just, bit by loosening the mount i find it just easy just to drop the exhaust down but well you, you jack the back uh, of the trans up you pick the exhaust up with it because you're picking the engine up nothing's yeah, gonna so change still there. Stay relative that's right nothing's going to change uh, so the exhaust true. pipe actually has to come down and what i like to do is take the driver's side down take plenty okay. of penetrating oil and spray on the studs and take a, a ratchet and an extension and the correct socket and take them off by hand. Yeah, don't try any of that. When I put the pan back on, mm-hmm. should I use any sealer on no, the gasket? No, no, never. None. No, just clean it up okay. real well. 
and new gaskets. Some vehicles have reusable gaskets. I don't think the Chevy pickup does, but uh, gas that year. relatively cheap. Yeah, some of the later model stuff has reusable gaskets that you can use again. And I think there's only one filter for that unit, two wheel, four wheel drive. But check and be sure because I'm not really, yeah. I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah, best is to order it by the VIN number. Yeah, that yeah. transmission that is what uses, I did on both vehicles. Yeah, okay. They use I three or four different depths of filters you know the, the pans are different depths and the filters come with longer necks right. on them and if you put a short one where a long one goes then you may run a chance of uh pulling air pulling air into it and if you use a longer the, one you can't get the pan all the way back on with the truck should i torque that valve body or just leave it alone it's not too big of a problem on that one. it doesn't hurt anything to do it that's more of a forward problem where that gasket yeah. shrinks up we really don't have much trouble with the chevrolets on that so probably best just leave it alone then. You, you can, yeah. yeah. It, it, now, there is a, a seal that holds that filter up, and you need to change that seal when you change the filter. So be sure you yeah, get that I filter. I did get that. Yeah, okay, because good. that retains the filter. Cool. Right on. Well, yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate the help. All right, Paul. Thanks for calling, man. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we got to take a quick little break. Paul and Fred, you guys hang on. You'll be straight up after this break. If you ever plan to motor west ah yes mr bigfoot uh, make yourself comfortable on the couch and tell me what has stressed you out uh, i'm just a secluded forest dweller and i like it like that but every now and then i get these people hunting me down there's a tv show jerky commercials and now another movie then i worry about the hype if they do find me will my feet be big enough well mr foot i can't really do much about these people but i can tell you how to create some peace of mind in your life do like me and take your car to agco once a year for a general inspection they provide me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs i need now and in the future they can even catch small issues that could lead to big expensive problems down the road an agco general inspection huh oh one more thing doc could you tell me where i can find this toilet paper I've heard wonderful things about it. Here's Agco's number. And the name of another store that may ship some TP straight to your cave. Thanks, Doc. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you're just us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Haldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Sure appreciate you spending Saturday morning with us. If you have a question or a comment, you give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And we've got Paul's been patiently holding. Good morning, Paul. Yeah, hi. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. I've got a question. I've got a 2015 Ford Escape. Uh-huh. It's coming due for a battery, and I'm going to do it myself. Okay. Now, I, I bought a tool for the battery saver. It plugs into the OBD port. Okay. And then it's on the other end, the wire has two alligator clips. Okay. Now, what kind of battery should I get? I mean, does it have to be a car battery no. or does it be 12 volts? It has to be 12 volts. Any 12-volt battery, which it's kind of difficult to find. They do make some small ones. I think they go like in GPSs and like emergency lighting systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. That's what we use. It's like a little small lead-acid battery, a little motorcycle battery. I mean, anything that's 12 volts. I mean, theoretically, you could take two 6-volt lantern cells in time in series as long as you've got 12 volts coming out of it, you'll be good. It doesn't need a lot of capacity because all it's doing is keeping to keep a lot of memory going. Yeah, this one, the one I was looking at, they're like 20 bucks. They're like for burglar alarm. Yeah, yeah, be the same thing. And it's like a 7 amp hour battery. Mm-hmm. So that would be fine. Oh, yeah, that would work fine. In fact, it's ironic, but the ones in our GPS and the one in our alarm system at the shop are the same. So we usually okay. keep a couple of those around and we can use it for that as well. Oh, okay, great. That's all I needed That's to it. know. Thanks. Oh, oh, I have a, a quick question you about bet. 
the transmission on that car, I have the fluid, I do a drain and fill mm-hmm. on the fluid because you can't drop the base. Right. There's no base to drop. I do it like every every 20,000. Mm, good. Yeah. Is that all right? Yeah, yeah. That, that would be excellent because you, you're not likely to ever have a filter restriction as long as you keep the fluid really clean. Because that's what the filters do is clean the dirty fluid. So if you keep the fluid clean, you're very much less likely to ever restrict the filter. Oh, okay. Good. Since since you can't get to it, it's a good idea. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where are you calling from, Paul? I live in uh, Westport, Massachusetts. Oh, okay. Okay, I thought I picked up a little New England accent there. (laughs) (laughs) About an hour south of Boston. Okay, very good. Yeah. Okay, thanks a lot, and you people have a good New Year. Thanks, Paul. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. All right, going right back to our phone lines. We've got Fred's been patiently holding. Good morning, Fred. Good morning to you, Steve. Yes, Good morning. Sir. I had a 2006 GMC Envoy, mm-hmm. and I was having a, yeah, a little difficulties with it here recently. I think I've solved some of it. Wanted your opinion on a couple of other things. So I, it started throwing the check engine light. Okay. And I got the, uh, the code Z, uh, P0014 for the exhaust camshaft position timing. Okay as well as P0449, which is says evaporative system, evaporative emission system that controls circuit. Yes, sir. So anyway, it was both of them. I fixed the uh, P0014 okay. with uh, an oil change, mm-hmm. and then I also went into the, uh, removed the solenoid to look at it. I tested it. It seemed okay, but since I went through the trouble of getting it out, and looking it over, I didn't want to take any chances, and I just replaced it. Yes, sir. Not uh, a bad that idea. That code has disappeared. I cleared the codes by just disconnecting the battery. I don't know if that really clears it or not. but uh, uh, should, the, yeah. The 0449 still came back. Right. You know, the place, you know, I basically went to one of the car parts places and had them run the code for me just to see which one it was. Mm-hmm. Before I did anything, it says the suggestion is to replace the evaporative emissions, evap canister, vent solenoid. That's um, a fairly high failure rate part, and okay. it's pretty likely. I mean, basically any leak in the system, yeah, a bad yeah. fuel cap could do it. A vacuum hose that's cracked or dry rotted could do it. I mean, crack any the leak, tank, yeah, any seal on the crack tank. in the tank, if the fuel pump's ever replaced, fuel pump seal. Right. Anything that allows air in. See, what it's looking at is that it's commanding that vent solenoid to close, and it's trying to draw a vacuum on a tank, and it doesn't hold vacuum. So it's going to say, okay, the solenoid is bad, but it doesn't mean the solenoid is necessarily bad. You've also got to check and make sure you're getting 12 volts and ground to the solenoid because you, you could have a little critter gotten in and chewed the wire up. Sometimes the computers will go bad and quit sending the signal. So there's lots of things, but i got to say, overall, the most likely is the solenoid because they do fail a lot. Very, very high okay. failure rate part. Okay, and then I was thinking, you know, like how to chase something like that down without, you know, throwing... The Wait way we do it, we've got a machine called a smoke machine, and we go into the evap system, pump it full of smoke, and that way we can see wherever smoke Coming comes out, out of the system. the system. Now, I'll tell you some other things that can fool you on that. There's a The way it knows whether it's holding a vacuum or not is a fuel tank pressure sensor. Correct. They go bad a fair amount as well, and it's reading off that sensor. So let's say it commands the solenoid to close, draws a vacuum on the tank, but the sensor doesn't move because it's bad then it's going to assume that air is leaking in. It just doesn't Just the know. way the software is written. The way the software is written. So, I mean, technically what I would do first, you know, without a lot of equipment, is go to the solenoid, make sure I got 12 volts and ground at the solenoid when I'm supposed to. Uh, you can alternatively take and put like a little vacuum pump on that solenoid, put 12 volts to it and see if it blocks off, release 12 volts, see if it vents. 
you know, that's a way you can kind of test it, although it's not definitive. It would give you some direction. If you had okay. a scan tool that could read, you could read the fuel pressure in the tank and see if that's reading properly. But again, that's going to involve some type of instrumentation that can read that. But I don't think those sonars are very expensive and they're fairly easy to change. So, I mean, if you just want to throw a part at it, that is probably the most likely possibility. Okay. I was thinking, get, you know, gas cap from that. Well, the I gas cap can be checked. That. Yeah, you can check the gas cap with a gas cap checker. In fact, the parts store may even have one right. of those they'll use for you just to see if the cap's good or not. But And, again, a cap is not that expensive either. So no. Just make sure you get a good cap. Yeah, you want a good cap. I like to go back to the dealer and buy those caps. I don't like the aftermarket ones. We've sometimes seen so they much just, trouble they with They don't them. seal. I got you. Yeah, and then the, the other thing that it did, and that was just last night, and I already figured out what it is. It's mm-hmm. just a matter of replacing. I've done done on a trailblazer before that the the, uh, the shifting linkage came mm-hmm. off at the bottom. Yes, mm-hmm. sir. And your bushing fell right, out. Right. I know I can go buy a bushing somewhere. Any right. suggestion on which one? When I look them up, there's about twelve different kinds. It seems like there are, and some of those will work. Some of those won't work. We generally just replace the cable. Right. especially if it's got a lot of miles on it just because those cables do tend to corrode up and they start binding and, and just different stuff that happens so we generally just change the whole cable just to prevent problems because the cable's not all that expensive it's not that hard to change but the uh, little bushings is an aftermarket part that right. you can get some of them work some of them don't i mean i've got burned a couple of times where i've tried to put those on they break and leave a customer stranded and they're real ticked off about it so i mean as a do-it-yourself, or you can certainly do it yourself, because if, if it fails, you know, you're not out all that much, and you know how to probably get in a car and put it back on. But, right. you know, if you're doing it for a customer and they don't know how to do that, you, you're going to involve a record bill, which probably costs more than the, than the cable thing, would. Yeah, so. we're done oh, and yeah. fixed it right the first time. Mm-hmm. The cable's about 75 to 100 bucks. Yeah. From whatever time it takes to, yeah. to change it. Yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> not, not, not terribly hard to change. Okay, well, look, I do appreciate it. As far as the, uh, you got the, the solenoid for mm-hmm. the emission thing, where is that one located on mm. boy? Is it underneath by the filler? Yeah, it's back it's by gonna, the tank. It's going to be around the gas tank somewhere pretty close. I'm not sure exactly on the Envoy. Even the, the pickup trucks, depending on what cab assembly is on it, they uh-huh. move the they move the they vent move valve there. and the canister yeah. underneath them. It'll so just be a little just, assembly with two hoses on it. I mean, right, you, you two could, hoses and electrical connection. Yeah, you could pretty yeah. much spot it. It'd be the only thing right around the gas tank. Yeah. Look around the canister. You know what the canister looks like? Charcoal the, canister. The charcoal canister? Yes. It should be close to the charcoal canister in reference because it actually attaches to the charcoal canister. And then the other hose goes out and vents uh, somewhere under the vehicle. I got you. Yeah, because I even had a guy to say, oh, yeah, if you're having trouble filling your tank, like if it keeps shutting the pump off, Mm -hmm. it may be that. But I'm sitting here thinking about that, saying, well, hell, the the vehicle's off and everything when I'm filling it. Right. It does sometimes, depending on where I am. Well, a bad bad canister can cause that, and the charcoal out of the canister can take out the solenoid. And it because can, it's drawing a vacuum out of that canister. So if the canister ruptures, the charcoal gets in the vent solenoid, it sets both codes. And it can also uh-huh. plug up the vent line all the way to the front. I've seen that charcoal pack in there. You can't hardly right. drill it out. <laughs> so okay. that charcoal is held in that canister by a very fine, fine mesh. It's actually thinner than fabric. Yeah. It's and just enough to hold that charcoal in that canister. And if you get any gas it, in it, yeah, you know, liquid gas ever gets into it because you overfill the tank vapor. or something, it, it'll destroy it pretty quick. Okay. I mean, you can take it off and just hang it upside down and shake it and see if, if anything, anything comes, comes out. out yeah. yeah, it's done. Okay. Look, thank you all very much. Great show. Okay, right, thank you. Thanks, man. Right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right, we've got to take our second little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. <laughs> 
eye back and tell me what's stressing you out, Mr... Herr Voltage, supervillain, arch nemesis of good. I have electric superpowers, blah, blah, blah. And it sounds like you're burnt out and stressed about your job. Yes, Doctor, the pressure is insane. My wife's always nagging me about my evil plans not being up to par. Melting the polar ice caps, blocking out the sun, world domination. None of it's good enough for her. Some days... I just want a garden. Herr Voltage, I can't really advise you on your super evil plans, but I can offer this advice on gaining some peace of mind. Bring your car in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and they catch any problems early so you don't have major repairs down the road. Hmm, I know Agco could work on my Scion, but can they work on my G19 thermonuclear urban assault car copter? You'll have to call Agco about that. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Loud noise off the river to right. Don't mind it cause the man with the whiskers has a lot behind it. But I can't keep punching with the big... Hey, welcome back. Mr. Noise, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. Got all our lines wide open. That we do. And should you happen to miss your prime opportunity to get your live answer on today's show, right? you can always visit our website any time of the day or night which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button. A little form is going to pop up. And fill out the form with the correct information and hit the send button. There you go. Couldn't be any easier than that. You know, one thing I want to make an announcement, too. On the 21st, we had the book we were uh-huh. giving away, the OBD2 Diagnosis Made Easy, and Josh from San Jose, California, had won that. Some kind of way, Josh, I apologize, but your address got misplaced. Okay. If you could just send an email to me with your mailing address, I'll get that book right out to you. Uh, I do apologize for the problem, but with the holidays and everything, it just got somewhere. Somehow it got misplaced. Betwixt and between, man, who knows, <laughs> you know. But, yeah, if you listen, I know Josh listens just about every week. If right. you listen, just send an email to the website, and I'll be sure I get that book sent out to you. That we will. There you go. And going back to our phone lines, we've got Dave on the line. Good morning, Dave. Hey, Lewis. Yes, sir. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, y'all had a, a guy call in. It sounded like a similar problem to what I'm having. Okay. I've got a little Ecotec engine and a little Chevrolet. And, and when I start it up in the morning, whether it's a cold morning or a, a warm morning, it'll start up just fine. And then it'll run for, you know, 20, 30 yards as I'm pulling out the driveway. Then it wants to start wanting to stall, like it's either fuel starved or something like that. And then if I catch it, right it won't stall and then it'll go ahead and, and pick up and be just fine as i'm driving mileage has been great everything else seems to be okay mm-hmm. and i think you'd mentioned something maybe about an air sensor or something but anyway what what do you think is causing that? well there are uh, several sensors that could do that and when it first starts to warm up there's when the engine is completely cold it's in what they call open loop that means it's running off default readings Okay. But as soon as it hits temperature where the oxygen sensors warm up enough, it starts reading, and then the computer takes over. So if any of the sensors are not reading properly, it may run fine on default readings, you know, because they're close enough. But when it goes to start reading these sensors, then, you know, it just kind of falls flat on its face. You'd really have to have it with some instrumentation on it to isolate which one is bad, unless you're getting any kind of check engine light, which would maybe give you some guidance as to what sensor is reading bad. Most right, likely, no yeah, most likely it's still reading. It's just reading improperly, which the computer's not going to catch it. It's just looking for zero one off or on. If it's getting a reading, it doesn't know whether it's wrong or right. Some okay. of the things, like the airflow meter, if it's dirty, 
could do that because the little wire in there, little corona wire that reads the amount of airflow, if it gets a film of dirt on it, which happens from time to time, it's going to read improperly. So when it first goes to the where it's reading off of that rather than default, you may get a stumble or a die. And then once it reads it a little bit, the oxygen sensors kind of override it and they'll adjust for it and they can make it work. That would be one of the first places I would start looking. And I can tell you, GM says you can't clean those airflow meters. you got to change them. But, again, they're in the business of selling $400 airflow meters. I have cleaned lots of them. As long as you're very, very careful and use the correct the correct cleaner and stuff, right. you can generally clean them and, and get big results. But that would be one guess without seeing it. Other than that, you'd have to have a scan tool on the car that can read the live data at the time it's occurring. So you'd have to, like, drop the car off the night before, yeah. have them attach equipment, and when it starts to occur, they can look at it and see which one is reading out of range. Now, on occasion, I will, say, drive 10, 15 miles, get it warmed up good. I'll stop at a grocery store, get back in and start it up, and I'll get that same symptom. Yeah. But not always. Yeah, it's just gonna, without having some yeah. equipment on it while it's occurring, it's just too many possibilities. Okay. Like, say, so you, you'd run out of money before you ran out of guesses. You know, it's just too many right. possible things it could be. I mean, certainly okay. you could put a fuel pressure gauge on it just to make sure that the fuel pump's not maybe bleeding down under certain uh, conditions and all that kind of stuff. So it's all stuff that can be tested for rather than just changing parts because the parts in that system are going to be, I mean, a fuel pump, you're probably talking six $700, you know, installed. Cool. So it's not something you want to guess at. You know, it's not like, well, let's try this and see, you know. Yeah. Well, okay. I'll, uh, I'll see how it goes the next couple of weeks, and then I'll probably have to see if I can take off and bring it in one day. Okay. Sounds good, Dave. I'll check it for Thanks, Thank man. You, man. Bye-bye. All right. I go back to our phone. I've got Herb on the line. Good morning, Herb. Good morning. Yes, Good morning. sir. Um, uh, if y'all, if you're buying a battery and it's a three year and a five year, the three, the five is naturally more expensive. Are you getting anything else besides a longer warranty? Herb, in my opinion, you're only paying for the warranty. They're giving you a long warranty. They charge you more up front. I just buy like a three-year battery and change every three years. I just find that way yeah. more safe. You know, I'm not a big insurance kind of guy. I insure things that I can't afford to lose. You know, like my health. I can't come up with $300,000 if I have a heart attack to get in and out of the hospital. So I got to insure that. Yeah. Liability on my car. If I do something stupid, I can't come up with a million dollars to pay somebody else. So I got to insure that. But, like, mm-hmm. extended warranties or warranties on batteries or warranties on appliances, you know, if it goes bad, it's going to tick me off, but it ain't going to ruin me financially. I'm not going to pay somebody to assume that risk for me. Okay. That's I what I was thinking, but I knew y'all knew the answer. Yeah, and I think the, the five-year battery is still likely to fail at three years. Mm-hmm. It's just they're going to give you a, a little chump change back that didn't nearly amount to what they're taking in. I mean, the reason they sell all that kind of stuff is because they're making money on it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, and thank Brian there. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. 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 All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to hear from you. You know, those extended warranty policies, you're putting your money in their hands, and then they're dictating what they're going to fix for you. If they're going to fix it. If they're going to fix anything at all. We see that every day with those. Very, very often people come in with a problem with an extended warranty, and we check and call, well, that's not covered Mm -hmm. because of such and such, or that's not covered because of such and such. Right. Uh, We're we're only covering 10% of it. Yeah, we'll cover a percentage. Or we're going to send you a used part, want you to put that on, or yak, 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 yak. I mean, you got to remember extended warranties are nothing more than an insurance policy. They're in business to make money. There is the one guy in a thousand who's going to hit it and he's going to make money on it. And he's going to be all right. But right. it's just like the guy who buys a lottery ticket. Yeah. One in a million is going to hit it and win the lottery. 
but another nine hundred ninety nine thousand could lose their money. Exactly. So yeah, it just depends on how you feel about. It. I know people who buy them religiously and like them, but yeah, it basically is not. I mean, any savvy financial advisor is going to tell you, hey, don't buy them. It's right. Yeah, it's just a, a rip off. Yeah, you're not going to come out. They're going they're going to make money in the end. Let's see, we're going back to our phone lines. Brian, good morning, Brian. Hi, love your show. Appreciate everything you do. Well, thank um, you. What question for you? I've got a 2005 or six. I don't remember. We've had four of these. <laughs> love the vehicle. Mercury Grand Marquis. Yeah, good, great car. Um, yeah, and um, anyway, the, the heater is not working. Okay. The air works. All the different dials work for is you know where it's blowing out and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. But the actual temperature does not change. It stays on the cool side. That's okay. kind of a new thing for me okay first thing you want to do that's just real real simple brian is go out with the engine running and just touch the two hoses that go to the heater they're right there they're fairly easy to get to back on the firewall make right, sure they're right. both hot and they're both equally hot you know if one's hot and the other one's not Makes sense. yeah the heater cores problem. will plug up on those cars under certain conditions and the water doesn't flow through any longer the, the gotcha. sign there is that one's gonna be hot and one's not gonna be hot also, if the thermostat sticks open, the temperature of the engine may not be getting high enough. In other words, it's kind of funny, but at 180 degrees, it will not blow hot air. At 200 to 220, it'll blow hot as the devil. Right. But it's pretty sensitive, and if the thermostat's sticking open, it'll do that. You can do that by just dropping a thermometer in, you know, in the neck of the radiator in the surge tank and make sure the water's right. getting full temperature. Beyond uh, that, okay. if the hoses are both hot and the engine is up to full temperature, I would suspect probably one of the blend doors could have possibly broken or the blend door motor could have gone bad in the cold position because it has to move that door back and forth between the heater core and the evaporator core. Now, the giveaway there is that you're going to have hot water available and hot water is going to be going through both the hoses. And if that's the case, then you're more likely under the dash. Now, do yourself a real quick favor, and when you open the hood, make sure the engine is ice cold. Look at their surge gotcha. tank and make sure that the level is full. Yeah. Because if the level is low, the heater will not work. Yeah, and also bypass. That given the heater, the hoses won't be at the same temperature. So make sure gotcha. it's full okay, with the correct fluid sense. in it. Yeah, because a little leak a vehicle, anywhere. A vehicle that old, if it's been neglected any at all, the cooling system is, is marginal. And they mm-hmm. have a few common leak points. Uh, the intake will leak on them. The radiator will crack and the fluid, you know, the level will go down. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's not a massive leak. It's just yeah. a small leak. It still leak. keeps the engine cool, particularly if the ambient temperature is not high. Right. And what it does, instead of right. dripping on the ground, the engine evaporates. The engine's hot and it just evaporates before it reaches the ground if it's a slow enough leak. So you don't see okay. it on the ground under the car. So just make sure it's full. Okay, great. Yeah, we've, we've had four of these, so I've gone through a lot of problems <laughs> with AC and things like that. But that's not a you know, a situation we've run across. Right. And uh, this car's only got 50,000 miles wow. on it. Yeah, low miles. Um, yeah, yeah. I well, and with that low miles relative to the years, it may be that the car sat some, so the coolant could be in pretty rough shape. You know, so a stuck thermostat or right. plug heater core is not, you know, not out uncommon. of question for sure. Gotcha. Cool. All right, gentlemen. Well, thanks so much. I All appreciate right. your help. Thanks, All right. Brian. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. We'll take our final quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour.
Hello, you must be Glenda de Goodrich. Uh, relax on the couch and tell me what's stressing you out. Do you know how stressful it is to be good all the time? I don't want to be wicked, but sometimes I just like to not say thank you or pinch a bratty kid or stick my finger in a chocolate. And if I don't like the flavor, put it back in the box. Oh, that would be divine. Unfortunately, Glenda, I can't assist you with your goodness issues. Uh, but for peace of mind, schedule an annual general inspection with Agco Automotive. They'll check out your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and let you know about future repairs. Sad ways, there are no surprises. Well, you definitely want your automotive repair shop to be good and not wicked. A young girl once told me there's no place like home. And I've got to go. Just bill me. I'll be somewhere over the rainbow. Toodaloo! Hmm, that little witch might not be so good after all. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, president of Agco Automotive. Got my lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Between the two of us, we'll try to answer any questions you may have. Still got a few minutes, just give us a call. 291-6901. And, you know, we were speaking with the last caller he had at, at 05 Grand Marquis. Mm-hmm. Man, that was a great car for Ford. It really was. I always questioned why Ford dropped that platform. I know they dropped the Lincoln Town car mm-hmm. somewhere around 09 yeah, or 10. Like and I think the Grand Marquis and the Crown Vic went around 11. They quit building them. So, unfortunately, if you want that car now, the newest one you're going to get is about nine years old. Sure. And in a nine, 10 year old car is going to have a little bit of problems if it was, you know, if it wasn't. Treated, treated correctly mm-hmm. you find one that has been babied or you know been maintained very well right it's still a very viable car well i, I always liked that car and you know it had such a big market following with like taxi cab fleets sure police cars yeah. i know i had a buddy of mine's a state police uh-huh and he said man look you don't take my crown vic from me you know right right in fact when they want to punish them for something they'll put them in like a chevy malibu because <laughs> you know that crown vic would ride like a dream oh man they it, rode great you on could the chase anybody down with it because it's sure. power really got pretty good fuel mileage i think those things got close to 28 yeah. 29 miles a gallon it wasn't a very pretty car you what know it's a, not a very desirable a car stylish car that, but as far as what young people might like but it was a safe car it was sure. a good car well-built car they kept that platform for many many years yeah i think they started building them in 91 i don't remember 90, 91 when they originated yeah it. Uh, but basically the same platform they changed some things changed suspension on sure. them, changed the brakes sure. on them kept updating them as it went but i was always kind of couldn't understand why ford dropped that I, car because i know that had to be a money maker for them but i would think yeah i mean it was a great vehicle i, I mean i I hate to keep slamming forward, but that, that, to me, that's about the last good car they built. You know? I, I understand. They, they hadn't come out with anything to replace it yet, as far as I can tell. Yeah. But it's unfortunate that so many of the really good cars were like the mid-90s to mid-2000 cars. Yeah. And we used to always advise people, buy one of those cars, take care of it, run it out. But unfortunately, that advice is starting to get well, non-viable. Sure. Those cars are getting 15, 20 years old right. now. They're going to get to a point where they just can't really go anymore mm-hmm. you start getting problems where all the front end wears out on them the interior starts kind of falling well, apart the, the front end can be fixed yeah that that is not a, a problem as far as i can see but when you start having the, the interior starts falling apart right. that stuff is not being made anymore and anything you can get is going to be aftermarket right to go in there some of the door panels if you can find one are thousand dollars right you know, it's very just, expensive. The interior kind of just falls apart after 20 well, it years. It does. Just, I mean, it wasn't designed to last, but it was so many years. 
And if you get a car that maybe has been garage kept or whatever, you may find one that's still good. Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of like the Chevy pickups. I To me, that best years of that Chevy pickup was that first round of the Silverados. Was it 99 to 06? Yeah, 99, 05, 06. 06 and half of 07. They yeah. actually had that. They carried the that classic. body through to uh 07 right half a year 07 and, and they came out with those the new just body. gave a lot less trouble they did than the newer ones and we used to always advise people yeah you know if you could find one of those go ahead and buy a used mm-hmm. one and keep it but again it just time marches on and so any advice you might give is eventually going to become outdated exactly just uh, like the vehicle well just like, <laughs> just like the people, the people yeah. who drive it but unfortunately nowadays if you go to buy a car you can start looking around and most of the stuff that people are going to look at is maybe five or six years old. Uh-huh. So we're talking about a 14, 15, 15 model car. Those cars are still pretty technologically advanced. Oh, yeah, definitely. They got a lot of very, very, very expensive components on it. So we're going to have to kind of rethink yeah, you know, we're, what we're going to do in the future for a less expensive uh, right. car. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in the market for a, another one for my daughter, but. Man, I, I just don't know what to get right now. I'm it, telling and, you. and I'm a seasoned technician, you know. Well, just, that's right. What do you get that you're not going to have a whole lot of expensive repairs on? Well, and of course, if you can afford to go plank down 45000 bucks well, for then a new car. Then this is not a problem. And this you is can not afford, an issue. You can afford to keep it five years and get rid of it. It's not an issue. Yeah, but I mean, you take when you're spending forty five grand, amortize that over five years, that's a pretty healthy little note. It is. Boy, I want to be paying. It is. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm still driving a 20-year-old vehicle right well, now. Well, that's it. I mean, I got an 2 model Chevy pickup that I hope will take me to the end of the road. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. But mine's been garage kept. It's been very well maintained, and I see, I foresee no problems. Even interior still looks really good. It does. It does. So, it's a pretty clean old truck. Yeah, I, I hope to keep that one as long as I care to drive. <laughs> but... Yeah, it's getting to be a bigger and bigger problem. And, you know, when you consider in around 2012, they started coming out with all the computers and all that were married to the car. Right. So if they choose to obsolete the PCM and that part goes out, and I know Ford is real bad. I mean, five, six years, they're starting to obsolete parts. So you've got a car like that, a major component goes down, like, say, the power control module. You can't get another one. A used one will not work. Right. Because it's already been programmed to the other car. So it so, can't be reprogrammed. So that's no longer an option. You basically just got a big. Well, you got a redneck lawn ornament. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I, I mean, I guess you could, you could yeah, make, park a, it out make front an apartment make a, out of it or something, you know? Yeah, make a chicken coop out of it. Well, or, about it. Cause yeah, once one of those big modules goes down. Right. If the part's no longer available, the engine's not going to run. And in many cases, no aftermarket parts or even no rebuilt parts available. Right. And I'm not sure about the rebuilding services if they can go in and well, do anything again, with them. As but you start still, to get to the later cars, they've locked so much of that out. They have the old ones. Yeah, you could you could do that. Mm-hmm. If you had a '55 Chevrolet, you could pretty much if you had enough money, you keep that car going forever. Oh yeah, because everything on it was analog. Everything was just mechanical. Mechanical. Yeah. I mean, you could rebuild or fix every piece on it. Yeah. But when you get to a car that's largely all electronic, talking on a data network with servers and all this kind of stuff and one of those goes down let's say gm ford chrysler whomever just decides to no longer make the calibration available that means even if you could find a new computer you can't, you can't program because calibra- right. there's no calibration available so yeah we we're coming to a point where cars are going to change a whole lot in they the are. next few years and people's choices of what they're going to do for transportation transportation costs about the only thing we can say for certain is going to rise <laughs> it's going <laughs> to cost that's more and more to get around to get around so, unfortunately, yeah. there's just no simple answers to that. It's just kind of calculated in. And, I mean, inevitably, I think the car companies want a check 
coming in from every man, sure. every woman in the country forever. For transportation. Want, yeah, just transportation. Yeah, you want to go, you can pay us. They don't want to have to sell you a car and let you keep it right. for 300,000 miles like people did in the past because they're not getting money off of that. Well, that's three vehicles they didn't sell. That's the way they look at it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Hate to leave everybody with such a sour note. But, yeah, uh, but that's, that's the way it is today. kind of way it's going, yeah. I think we're going to get ready to get on out of here, start winding on up. I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, find a written review, and fill it out for us, please. Yeah, that really helps us out because when you give us a written review, it moves our rankings up on our show relative to any other programs. So if somebody just types in a generic term like, say, auto repair show, uh-huh. it may bring up 500 of those shows, but the ones with the most positive rankings are going to be close to the top of the list. And if you've ever searched Google, you know you're not going to go 25 pages no. deep to try to find something. You're going to look at the first page or two. And look at the reviews on it, and that's high probably where you're going to go. You're going to click on it. So it increases our listenership just for that reason. Also makes us feel good about ourselves. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.